Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. To the live exchange, I'm Dr. Pamela, and today we are looking at adulthood trauma. Uh, we hear a lot about childhood trauma and about the effects it has, particularly um, from a terminology um, that we hear often from a, a, a expert who is, she's a medical doctor. Her name is Dr. Nadine Burks. And she's talked a lot about the idea of childhood adversity and childhood trauma and the impact that it has on the brain. And um, and her work is uh, phenomenal and all the work around that area. Um, but I really want to focus on what happens when we become adults and we experience trauma. And um, so I have a couple of um, people who are on today who are going to help me discuss that. And so first hour, hour, we will have a licensed professional counselor. And second hour, we will have a minister. And we are going to really uh, break this down because looking at the impact of adulthood trauma as it pertains to our relationships, our career, and our own livelihood, um, we often don't tie that back, the challenges that we have in those areas back to some of the traumas we've experienced. So um, without further ado, I'm going to go ahead and introduce our first guest for this hour. Um, Latrice Sampson Richards, LPC, is a mental and emotional wellness creative, licensed professional counselor, supervisor, certified life enhancement coach, and CEO of Sampson Therapeutic Services. She is the host of Unicorns Talk podcast and founder of Trust Village Academy, an online membership program designed to educate Black women on the necessary life skills to facilitate healing and manifestation. Through her online membership program, Trust Village Academy, Latrice shares her own journey of growth, self-development, and self-development while presenting important skills, validation, and community support to women who are ready to heal their past and build a future they deserve. Originally from New Orleans, Louisiana, Latrice is an internationally known transformational speaker, teacher, and healer. She's wife, PCOS fighter, aspiring mother, and entrepreneur. Welcome, Latrice. Hi. Hi. Thank you for having me. Oh, absolutely. I, I appreciate you joining us today. Um, it's such an important topic and it's funny because it permeates every area of our lives. And I don't know that we understand the ways in which something that may have happened to us traumatically. And I, look, when I say tra- traumatic, I mean, in our 20s, dating somebody who was a narcissist or something. And, and now from the rest of our lives, you know, we we're, we don't know why we're we're I guess, making decisions and repeating the same thing over and over again, um, probably trying to resolve whatever happened back then and not realizing that. So Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So it's I, not just about dating yeah. either. It's, it's about experiences, you know, yeah. it's just about living and all of the different things that go into living in everyday life that impact us, you know? So I think it's, it's natural to kind of in, instinctively want to think about bad relationships and things, right. but there's other things that happen in our lives that cause trauma for us as well. And I think those are the things that tend to get overlooked and we need to be paying attention to them. 
Exactly. And, and, and what I was about to say was that I, I opened the door to talk about any form of trauma that we can experience in life with the relationship one, just being a small example of a whole host of other things um, that we experience um, in life that, that yields trauma. I mean, this coronavirus thing has traumatic impact on us. So we need to know that and be proactive about how to address it. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, so I want to just start with you a little bit and some of the work that you've been doing. Um, you know, tell me about how you know, your journey and, and how you got to. <laughs> this it has work been that- quite a journey. Yes, it has <laughs> been quite a journey. Um, so I, you know, I, I, I feel like counseling and therapy is, it, it chose me. It's not necessarily something that I chose. I, um, I've um i always kind of been that person that people came to and talked to um, whenever they were having issues. In fact, in high school, I was a junior counselor, um, but I didn't even know what that meant. I only did it because uh, they got to go to a retreat every year and I wanted to get out of school. So that was like the whole point behind that. But um, I really do feel like being a therapist, being a counselor, it it is a calling for me. Um, I think anybody can do it, you know, necessarily, but those who do it well um, have to be called to it, kind of like teaching. Um, and so I really believe that this is my purpose. My purpose in life is to help people, uh, specifically Black women uh, and Black people, to get our lives on track, to heal ourselves, and uh, really be able to take the culture and take the community to the next level through that healing. Um, And so I recently identified myself as a creative um, about two years ago. I started doing this podcast, Unicorns, actually about three years ago, I started Unicorns Talk podcast. And then two years ago, I had an opportunity to perform my show live at a podcasting conference. And that's really where everything kind of turned for me. And I really started to see myself as a creative. And so what I say now is that I'm a creative that just so happens to be a therapist, you know? Um, I feel like the path got really clear for me in terms of uh, like how I was to fulfill my purpose. Um, So I already knew that my purpose was to be of assistance and to help our community heal. Um, and this creative piece has taught me how I'm to do that work. And so um, I share my journey. Um, I love to talk. I mean, I'm a therapist. <laughs> I, love, I love to talk. I love to listen. And I share my journey and I encourage others to share theirs um, because there's lessons in the journey. That's where the growth takes place. So As I grow, I share. As I heal, I share. Um, And it creates a community of Black women and Black people who are looking for healing and who are achieving healing through community, through sharing stories, and through, more importantly, learning the skills that they need to facilitate that healing on their own terms. 
Yeah. Oh, and that's what I want to be able to get into today are some of those skills, um, you know, because I think when we recognize what it is we're dealing with, then we can start implementing those those skills, um, you know, as we're aware. So um, I, I really look forward to engaging in that kind of conversation as well. So we're going to go to the break um, and when we come back. We're going to look at certain uh, topics and dive right back into this conversation. So stay with us. We'll be right back on the live exchange. All right, welcome back to the live exchange. I'm Dr. Pamela. And um, today um, we are talking, I'm joined by Latrice Sampson Richards and we're talking about adult trauma. Um, One of the things that I wanted to um, dive into was the idea that, um, you know, as you stated in the beginning of of the show, is that there are different types of situations that lead to trauma. We often talk about relationships, but there's also, there's there's a lot of other things, especially in light of what's going on today in the world, and which is one of the re- main reasons why I wanted to talk about this, because today the world seems to be traumatized, tra- traumatizing, the world itself, just the world. <laughs> but I wanted to zero in with you um, about how to, um, you know, what, I'm sorry, about what some of those types of traumas might look like, you know, some of the things that people may be coming to you with um, that, that impact our lives. So, yeah, we, we deal with all different types of traumas, as you said. Um, I think the biggest trauma, of course, um, that, that I receive in terms of like working with clients and things is relationships. And it makes sense because we have a human need to connect with other human beings, right? So this sense of love and belongingness, we want to feel connected to other humans. And a lot of us are really struggling to find that connection right now um, for a number of different reasons. But whatever the reason is, a lot of us are really struggling to find that connection. So that is the number one trauma um, that I think my clients uh, tend to experience. In addition to that, though, it sounds super cliche, I know, but there's a lot of baggage that we carry with us from childhood that rears itself in adulthood. And there's a lot of times that we are not able to make the connection between things that we experienced early in life that continue to impact us and maybe re-impact us, re-traumatize us in adulthood because we never learned the skills that we needed at that point in time to be able to manage those things. Another issue that um, I find uh, is extremely prevalent, especially nowadays, where we are the most educated cohort of black and brown people uh, in America is financial trauma. Um, We have a lot of trauma around our finances, around how we uh, see money, our relationship to money, how we engage with money, the purpose of money, and the fact that we just can't seem to hold on to it, you know? Um, There's a lot of trauma around uh, financial decision-making and things of that nature. Uh, And I think that's one of the things that gets overlooked because nowadays it just seems like every time you go online everybody is a boss and everybody is a mogul and everybody is you know just killing it when it comes to finances um or at least that's the way it seems and so if you're not able to connect with that image or if you're not able to create the the appearance of being in that place it can be traumatic uh it can make you feel like you're not 
up to par or you're not sufficient in those areas. Um, so that's just a few of the different ways. Of course, we have family trauma. Even as an adult, that's a big one for me personally. Um, even as an adult, uh, trying to figure out what type of adult I want to be, figuring right. Uh, what type of marriage I want to have. Um, mm -hmm. My marriage doesn't look like my parents' marriage. Um, right. And like reconciling within myself that that's okay. It doesn't have to look yeah. the same way. My marriage gets to be mine and I get to make it look like whatever I want it to look like. So pretty much every area. I have to pause you on that part because I think that's huge. Um, at different phases of our lives, we start to realize that there's certain, you know, visions and 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 uh, a picture of our life that we wanted to have, and at some point we have to start redefining what that means to us. And and I just can't underscore that enough. You know um, what you just said because of how powerful that is. Um, I know that as I crossed over into my 40s and I realized, wait a minute. Um, even if I do get married right now, it's not going to look like what I had envisioned with, you know, it, there's just some aspects of my life that are tailored differently um, that would create a whole different kind of marriage. I need to redefine what that it will exactly look like at this phase of my life where I'm, when I'm almost an empty nester. Yeah. Um, I, I would you to speak to that because to me that that brings in a little bit of that creativity you know now i have to reimagine something um yeah. could you absolutely absolutely so you know we learn from our parents whether they were present or not right that's right put that out there, whether they were present or not, we learn from our parents how to exist in relationships. And so they are our first models for what healthy relationships look like. Um, and so when we find ourselves in a committed relationship or not even just in relationships, we're talking about in our lives in general, when we find ourselves in a place in our life that feels different than what we saw or what was modeled for us, then it can make us start to question our own decisions and question whether or not we're on the right path. I think right. one of the things that we have to keep in mind, though, is that we are living in completely different times. I mean, Absolutely. let's be real. My mother lived in a completely different time than her mother, right? right? So her experience of buying a home, they lived in Germany for a while because my dad was in the military. Um, a lot of the decisions that they made, my grandmother never could have imagined having to make some of those decisions because it was just a completely different time. And the right. same thing for us. We've had access to things that our parents can't even fully wrap their minds around, you know? Um, and so it makes sense that our experience of life is going to look differently than theirs did because our lives look different than Absolutely. theirs did. Right, right. Oh, that's such a good point. Um, so I, when we come back, we'll continue this conversation. Um, I have a little bit of um, uh, to, to ask you about that a little bit more. Um, but I also want to um, show a clip of uh, Nadine Burks when we get back and just what she had to say about childhood trauma and the way it impacts the brain. So stay with us. We'll be right back on The Live Exchange. Children are especially sensitive to this repeated stress activation 
because their brains and bodies are just developing. High doses of adversity not only affect brain structure and function, they affect the developing immune system, developing hormonal systems, and even the way our DNA is read and transcribed. So for me, this information threw my old training out the window, because when we understand the mechanism of a disease, when we know not only which pathways are disrupted, but how, then as doctors, it is our job to use this science for prevention and treatment. All right. So uh, welcome back. Uh, yeah, you know, that was groundbreaking when um, Nadine Burks um, really just put out there the impact of childhood trauma. And so I don't want to neglect that aspect of the trauma for the show. Um, I really want to talk about that connection between what happens when we're a child and, and how that plays into adulthood. As you mentioned um, earlier, Latrice, um, you know, once we, as she said, you know, what she was talking about prior to that particular segment of the clip was that when children are repeatedly exposed to the same uh, or, or to trauma over and over and over again, it impacts the brain and the way the brain responds to trauma. And it changes the, the um, chemistry, the, the makeup of the brain. Um, and so here we come into adulthood and, and we have, we're impacted, but we're impacted a, a bit differently because our brains are not just forming, but it does by all means still impact our brain, the physiology, the physiology of our brain and how we respond. So I, I would just love to hear your thoughts on that, um, that piece of, of how it can impact our health. Yeah. Um, so trauma is a extremely pervasive issue um, because it it trauma is essentially a very, very high level of stress. Right. So that's like the ridiculously overly simplified explanation of what trauma is. It is stress on steroids. Um, yeah. And so we already have lots and lots of research about how prolonged stress response impacts the body. It increases uh, risk. Uh, excuse me. It increases the amount of cortisol that is pumping through the body, which ultimately uh, impacts every single aspect of the body, including the brain. And so it impacts the way that your brain is able to respond to the things that it is experiencing, right? The things that it needs to be responding to. So when we talk about a trauma response, what we're talking about is the brain not responding to something in a way that is appropriate for the situation because mm. it has been affected in a way that causes it to see everything as a threat when it's not necessarily so, right? So we right. have threats that we experienced in early life and early childhood or in childhood at all, you know, um, and we have these things that have significantly impacted us. We never got the help that we needed to figure out how to wrap our minds around it. So we never were able to train our brains on the appropriate way to process that high level of stress and how to deal with that high level of stress. And so it just kind of sat there. And we stayed yeah. in that place. And so I believe that when we, whatever age we are, when we experience a significant trauma, 
if we do not learn in that time frame how to deal with that trauma, then when it comes to that particular emotion or that particular situation, we stay at that age. So if you were eight years old, when you first experienced a traumatic abandonment or a traumatic rejection or a traumatic sense of fear, and you never learned how to process it at that time, you were never given the space, you were never given the opportunity to really address and deal with that that emotion, then for the rest of your life, until you address it, you will respond Mm -hmm. to fear, to rejection, to abandonment as an eight-year-old child. And this is why we see so many people who struggle in relationships. This is why we see people who have this hairpin kind of trigger when it comes to uh, certain types of experiences because they are operating in a childlike manner because that's where their brain is. That's where they stopped, right? They never learned. But here's the thing, though. You know, I'm a therapist. I have to believe in the power of change and that human beings can grow, right? These are skills we're talking about. These are skills. So emotional processing is a skill, no different than learning how to use the toilet, right? Mm -hmm. Somebody had to teach you how to do that. There was a point in time where you didn't know how to use the toilet, right? So a skill can be taught and it can be learned. And that's the bright lining here is that just because you don't currently have the skill doesn't mean that you can't acquire the skill, which means that you don't have to stay in that place for the rest of your life. You can right. make a decision to do something different. You can make a decision to learn something different. And anytime I have an opportunity to learn something different, I think that's a great day. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, so then this, this debunks the myth then that once a cheater, always a cheater, once a liar, always a liar, or they are fill in the blank, this person, and they will always be, you know, the word these days is narcissist. Oh, they're not, they will always be, you know, so, so what do you say to that? And, you know, are there instances in which people really, you know what, that is something that's going to be their thing for life versus change it? Yeah. So there are some things that are personality flaws, right? Like you have some, some things are just straight up. This is who that person is. And it's the likelihood that that's going to change is relatively slim, but most things are not personality characteristics at all. They are learned behaviors that have become internalized, right? So when Mm -hmm. we experience these traumas and things early in life, uh, we never really have an opportunity to develop into the person that we truly are because we kind of go into survival mode. You do what you got to do to survive in that particular environment, whatever that that environment consists of. And so- we're interacting with people who are in survival mode. Yes. 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 And so what the problem is, though, is that the situation has changed. You're no longer in that environment that required that type of or that level of survival. And yet you've never learned other skills because you you spent all that time in survival mode. So you're responding to a situation in survival or from a place of survival that doesn't require a survival response, right? So we have to learn new ways of responding to things because when you know better, as they say, you do better, right? 
The hard part though is being able to recognize that you need to know better. Right. I see it as, you know, you're you're in a hot tub and you're supposed to be chilling, but you're you're trying to swim away from a shark, but you're in a hot tub. You're supposed to be just chilling. Just mm-hmm. just chill. You know, yeah. and, and some people don't know how to do that. So so we're gonna go ahead and go into the research. In the interest of science. 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 direction a little bit. Um, But there's an article here that's put out by the American Psychological Association. And it says that traumas are distinguished from other types of stressful life life, um, events by their seriousness. So one person may experience um, or two people may experience the exact same thing and have a different, uh, you know, it impacts them differently. Um, and so so the way that trauma manifests in people's lives are, are, are very different and very particular to that person's experience. So we can look at the distinction between different types of trauma by their seriousness to that person who experienced it um, by seeing things like uh, life-threatening illnesses, um, seeing witnessing a violent crime, or being in combat. A lot of times when we've talked about trauma in the past, it has been about being in combat, being at war, being in an abusive relationship. Um, But we look at other things like illnesses. A lot of people don't think about the threat of an illness being something that is related to trauma. Right now people have, there is a concept called the threat of mortality. And that is an actual concept that is about being, you know, fearful that death is imminent, that that if, you know, something is going on in society like coronavirus um, that that can impact health. There are a lot of people right now that are struggling with this this concept of um, the threat of mortality, uh, of fearing that that if they go out or if they are in contact with the wrong person, that, you know, their life may be threatened. And I'm not saying that's not true. But the way that people are experiencing it can lead to a certain level of trauma in some that don't imp- impact others. Um, and also from the study, it shows that adversity encountered in adult life um, affected adult health more than adversity encountered in childhood, which is interesting. And I just think that there's probably a lot more research that needs to be done uh, with regards to adult childhood. I'm sorry, adulthood trauma to better understand how this does impact our health. So I I would love to hear um, some of your thoughts on this, um, Latrice. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. It makes sense to me. Um, I think, you know, of course, I'm I'm nobody's researcher, let me tell you. Um, So I can't necessarily, you know, say with any any real research backing or anything like that. But I can tell you what my what I know based on my experience with clients and my own personal life. Um, it makes sense that adulthood trauma has a bigger impact um, at times than childhood trauma does. And if I had to guess why that would be, um, I would say it's likely because uh, when you are a child, there's a certain level of innocence that is associated um, with childhood that allows us to kind of gloss over things, right? So our brains are still developing. Um, Our brains are still, you know, kind of being seasoned uh, in in forming and shaping who we are. But as an adult, you 
you see things differently. You understand things differently. Um, and so you're able to not only see what is happening, but the background of it as well, the nuance yeah. associated with it that children can sometimes miss. And so mm. I think that makes complete sense to me. Yeah, oh, that's such a good point. It's almost like because we know more, it impacts us more. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so, oh, wow, that just brings up a whole um, host of thoughts that I want to discuss when we get back, including is the word trauma overused? Are we attaching trauma to absolutely everything? Um, so I would love to hear your thoughts on that when we get back. So stay with us. Join us on Facebook. Leave your comments. We'd love to answer your questions. And we'll be back on the live exchange. Today by Lindsay Sampson Richard, licensed professional counselor, giving us some great insight on trauma and what it looks like, and and really, hopefully, we're going to delve into you know what we can do and some solutions uh, with regard to trauma. Uh, one of the questions that I have is, you know, I do a lot of work from the research lens of trauma, um, a lot of workshops and so forth, uh, writing. You know, it's 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 my air, it's my area, it's my area of interest. <laughs> Um, And one of the things that I have to be hyper aware of is this idea of overusing the idea of trauma. Is it, you know, in society, it has become the buzzword in a lot of ways now that we understand what it is and the impact that it has on us. How do we distinguish between an event that is actually trauma and truly traumatic? And as you mentioned, it's high levels of stress versus somebody just had a hard time or it was just a bad day or it was just a difficult situation. Is there a difference between difficult situations and traumatic situations? And how do you know? There's absolutely a difference between a difficult situation and a traumatic situation. I think that difference, as you stated, really lies within the individual. Um, I find that clinicians, um, people who are working with uh, communities of color, specifically Black communities, um, are the ones that most often overuse the term trauma because they're judging or basing their idea of what is traumatic on their own experiences. And that's just not, that's not a... um, It just doesn't work like that. You know, it just doesn't go like that. The truth of the matter is, is that whether or not something was traumatic is determined by the person who experienced the trauma. So Mm. you cannot tell me that something I experienced was not traumatic to me because you didn't experience it from my perspective, from my point of view. It doesn't matter um, how insignificant you may believe it is if I find it significant significant, then it's significant. I always tell my, I call my followers, my clients and my students, I call them my villagers. So I stress to my villagers all the time that if your feelings are always valid, right, your feelings are always valid, whether or not they're based in reality, that's a, that's a whole separate thing, right? So if you feel that an experience was traumatic for you, then it was traumatic for you. 
But when you learn how to really dissect the different pieces of that experience and really look at what actually happened and how you actually feel about it, you might discover that in reality, it wasn't so much that it was traumatic for you, but that it was, you know, something that was inconveniencing for you or it hurt your feelings or it may be another significant emotion, but maybe not as significant as what we would consider trauma or like a traumatic experience. But if that's how you felt in that moment, then in that moment, it is true for you. So I think when it comes to identifying traumatic experiences, we have to first really be in tune with ourselves and understand what it is that we're actually feeling, how we are experiencing life and how the things that we're experiencing are impacting us. And from a clinical perspective, we have to give voice, not even, we can't give voice to people because the voice is already theirs, but we have to make sure that we are consciously aware of taking a step back and not infusing our own experiences into those of our clients. It's it's okay. I 100% agree with um, some level of personal share. I think that it helps to foster community with your client and helps to make that connection and things of that nature. But there is a line that you cannot cross between putting your thoughts, feelings, and emotional experiences onto your client. Let them tell you what they're experiencing, you, you know, and let them tell you how they're experiencing. And then your job is to walk them through wrapping their minds around that. Yeah, yeah, and I love that because I mean that's that that's that idea of counter transference, right? Where you're yeah. giving you know say something and it triggers you because of something you experienced, and next thing you know, you're giving them solutions based on what you really need. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. nothing with them and what and what it is that they need. Um, I, yeah, I find that incredibly interesting. One of the things that you said that that kind of just stuck to me was the difference between a significant emotion, which, which is really important to understand, you know, yes, this, this, this created something in me that I just, I don't know how to deal with it. I'm feeling overly sad or I'm feeling overly anxious or or whatever it is I'm feeling. So being able to distinguish significant emotions from trauma, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, because it seems that when you can separate that out, you then can utilize the right skills to address the problem because you've correctly identified it. Absolutely. It all begins with identification. So uh, my approach to intervention is always three-tiered. There's identification, education, and implementation. And all three of those pieces are important for different reasons. You cannot fix something until you're able to properly identify it. If you hear a noise under the hood of your car, your car is making some noise when you're driving, you're not going to take it to the mechanic and let them change the tire when the noise is coming from under the hood, right? Right. The first thing that they're going to do is drive that car around so that they can pinpoint where that sound is coming from, right? And so we have to be willing to identify 
what is making the noise when it comes to our emotional experiences? I think it first really begins with understanding how emotions work, which is something that a lot of people are not familiar with, right? Wow. How and, emotions yeah, and are afraid of. <laughs> absolutely afraid of, right? Yeah, and so I think that we we have to be willing to identify um, because until we identify, we cannot properly address, right? right. Yes. Well, so we, we have a question um, from the audience, and when we come back, we can address that question. Uh, Patrick Henry Wright asks, what are triggers and trauma produce triggers? When we come back, I, w- I would love for you to do that. Before. Absolutely. All right. Hey, with us. Pamela and I am joined today um, by Latrice and we are talking about uh, trauma and one of the things that we um, before the break we talked about um, we had a question from Patrick Henry Wright um, what are triggers and can trauma produce triggers what are your thoughts on that yeah so triggers are events and experiences that set off a chain of emotional reactions and or behaviors. Um, So triggers can be anything. And in short, yes, trauma can produce triggers. Um, And also trauma can be the result of triggers, right? Mm -hmm. So it's a reciprocal relationship. Uh, I think the best way to understand it is what I call the holy trinity of emotional processing. I grew up Catholic, you know, I'm from New Orleans. Um, But the Holy Trinity of emotional processing. So you have thoughts, behaviors, and emotions. And they are all three connected. At all times, there is never not a connection between your thoughts, feelings, and, excuse me, your thoughts, behaviors, and emotions. And so when you have a specific thought, it is connected to a specific emotion, which is then connected to a specific behavior. So any one of those three areas can be a trigger for the other areas. And so Mm -hmm. we find ourselves going in this process over and over and over. I'll give you an example. I used to be a cigarette smoker. Um, I know when people hear that, they're always like, what girl used to smoke cigarettes? Because I just don't look like the kind of person that would be a cigarette smoker. But for me, it was a very, uh, like that cycle was strong. It was very, very powerful. So for me, my most common trigger was emotion. It was boredom, right? I would smoke the most when I had nothing else to do. So I'm sitting around the house and I'm bored. I'm going to go smoke a cigarette, right? So that emotion of boredom triggered the response, the behavioral response of getting a cigarette and lighting it up. And then that behavioral response, because I hated smoking, triggered a thought process like, girl, why, like, what are you doing? Why can't you get this together? Which would then make me feel another emotion, which was uh, guilt and a lot of uh, uh, disappointment in myself, which would then make me want to smoke another cigarette. You get what I'm saying? So it was this cycle that went on and on and it goes back and forth. So triggers set off emotional cycles and trauma absolutely can produce triggers. Wow. I, I, I love that cycle. Um, you know, just the way that you describe that, because I think that once we can 
put the two together, once we, we look at a behavior, if we backtrack, what what emotion led me into this behavior? Was it fear? Was it boredom? What you know? What was it? Um, it can allow us to tackle what was at the beginning of this whole thing. Um, yeah. and, and gosh, it, again, diagnosing the right issue so that we can address it and attach, you know, strategies to it. I love Absolutely. it. So we are going to get ready to move into the next hour, but I want to give the audience an opportunity to be able to contact you um, if you know. Should they want to contact you? Um, how can we reach you? How can we follow all of the work that you're doing? Yeah, absolutely. So you can follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Latrice Sampson Richards. I'm not really on Twitter. Twitter is not really my thing, but you can go to my website, uh, LatriceSampsonRichards.com, and you can get all kinds of information about who I am, what my mission and vision is, and how to work with me if that's something that you're interested in doing. I also have a Facebook group called Trust Village. It is a safe space for healing and manifestation, and it's free. So you can head over to facebook.com backslash groups backslash Trust Village, or you can just go to my website and you can get to it from there as well. I love it. So just to give, you know, we want to use every minute possible here. Um, I had a couple of comments. Uh, Jamie said that she loves this Holy Trinity idea. One cannot exist without the other. So it's important not to just check in with how I'm feeling, but I have to take accountability for my thoughts and behaviors too. Absolutely. And then Patrick, Patrick thanks you for, you, you know, your explanation of triggers. He asks one more question that maybe you can answer in about 30 seconds. Mm -hmm. um, how can we defeat triggers? And if not, how do we deal with them if we can't defeat them? Yeah, so you absolutely can defeat triggers. And the way that you do that is by identifying the underlying cause of the trigger, right? So again, you identify what is the basis of the trigger, and then you address that Thing, right. So a lot of times that requires you to work with a, a, a professional, but sometimes it can be things that you can work on on your own. Each trigger is going to require a different type of response. So whatever it is um, might require might require therapy. It might require that you do something different. It might require a different environment. It just kind of depends on what the trigger is, but it absolutely can be addressed. We can do a whole show on how environments impact us. That's key. I mean, that's, that's one of the things I don't think we talk about enough either. So I might just have to have you back to talk about our environment at home, at work, wherever that is, and, and you know, how we can better navigate those environments. I'd um, love to come back. I, I do an entire module about environments. So I'm, I would uh, love to have that conversation. Absolutely. Okay. Well, thank you. I'm definitely going to have you back then. So. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Um, this is Latrice Sampson Richards, and she has given us a wealth of information today. I thank you so much for joining us, Latrice, and look forward to having you back. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. All right. No problem. The rest of you stay with us. We are going to have Rufus Chambers, um, a minister, join us for the second half as we continue this conversation on trauma on the live Good afternoon, good afternoon, and welcome to this second half of the live exchange. I'm Dr. Pamela, and today we are talking about adulthood trauma. Um, and
and just you know, what it looks like and what we can do about it. We hear a lot about childhood trauma, some of the abuses that we may have endured from our parents, from family members, from teachers, from society, from a, a negative environment for a child. But what happens when we become adults and we have to navigate these waters um, in an entirely different way as we are taking care of families, raising children, um, being professionals in the workplace and so forth. How do we handle these things? Today, there are so many traumatic images that we see on repeat um, in, in the news, in media. It's hard to escape it because even if we turn off the, the news, we have people sharing things on social media. Um, and, and just in from a personal standpoint, I've done a lot to try to shield myself from seeing these repeated images of um, innocent people being shot by the police and um, um, unarmed people being shot by the police and, and just a lot of the different types of violence that we're seeing all going happening all over the world in Belarus, um, in Beirut, um, and right here in the United States. So wanting to engage you all in a conversation about what do we do with all of this stuff that we have that we're having to navigate through and figure out. And so we have uh, earlier in the first half of the show, um, we had counselor Latrice Simpson Richards, who gave us her, her perspective from um, the LPC, Licensed Professional Counselor standpoint. And now we're going to have during this hour, the standpoint of a minister who is going to give us his take on um, how to cope and what is going on in this world um, of trauma that we're facing. So uh, without further ado, I'm going to go ahead and introduce our guest, um, Rufus Chambers. Um, so Rufus is lead pastor at the Bridge Community Church, at the Bridge Community. Um, he is a dynamic business professional with over 20 years of experience who has built a successful career in the construction industry with an expertise in project management. He is a vice president at Lincoln Property Company, overseeing projects in account relations for Los Angeles-based clients. In addition to being a seasoned business professional, Rufus Chambers serves as lead pastor at the Bridge Community based in Southern California. Rufus began serving in ministry over 18 years ago in a small men's Bible fellowship and has served in a number of ministry areas since, consistently making his gifts and abilities available to serve humanity. It was through serving that Rufus developed a tenacity for developing structures, processes, and procedures that bring visions to life. He also has a passion for the application of the word of God and enjoys teaching principles that empower people to obtain their divine purpose and reach their full potential. Rufus has been happily married for 19 years and has two beautiful daughters, ages 15 and 12. Welcome, Rufus. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Dr. Pamela. It's so good to be here with you and the previous yes. distinguished guests. So thank you for having me. Absolutely. It's been what, like 20 years? I, I, you I know? can't believe it. I, I can't <laughs> believe how, how much, you know, how fast time flies. But it's been a joy. It's been a joy watching you, your platform, your career just flourish. So congratulations to all of your endeavors. 
Thank you. I wish you the same. I wish you the same. Building this community, the work that you're doing, I I love it. So uh, for those of you who are like, what's going on? What's going on? Rufus and I went to college together <laughs> at Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. So um, so it's really great to be able to get your insight on this. And we're going to go to break, but I do want to share that the reason why I brought you on is because of a Facebook post that I saw that I said, you know what, this is timely. We have to talk about it. So when we come back, I'll read a little bit about that, of that post and I uh, would love to hear what you have to say. So. Stay with us. We'll be right back on the live exchange. Welcome back to the live exchange. Um, I'm Dr. Pamela and joining me is Rufus Chambers. And she's going to play the song that was like huge when we were in college, right? Oh, that's, that's it. <laughs> a throwback indeed. A throwback indeed. Good memories. <laughs> I love it. And you know what strikes me is that we are both doing what we went to school for. So, right, you went to school for engineering or one of those technical polytechnic fields, right? You're in it. And I went for journalism at a polytechnic school. And look, we're here doing our thing. I love it. That's true. That's true. That's true. So can you tell us a little bit more, you know, about what you do? It sounds like you have a multifaceted life um, and, and really kind of how you got into the journey of uh, ministry. It, it seems that your education took you into your career. Um, tell us about how you got into ministry. Yeah, my journey in ministry uh, was interesting in that I always attribute the beginning of my walk with Christ um, as an adult to the gentleman that provided uh, premarital counseling to me and my wife. Wow. And, you know, up until that point, I thought that I was a good man in air quotes. And that pastor challenged me um, to really incorporate Christ into my life. Mm-hmm. And as he challenged me, I accepted that challenge. And that began a journey um, to learn about how to follow Christ. And, you know, really through through God's grace, he put different men in my life that mentored me and invited me into a deeper journey with Christ. And it's really through those relationships that I began to serve. Uh, Like my bio mentioned, at first it was a small men's Bible study that started off as a couple of men just coming together on a golf course on Saturday mornings. And it grew to over a hundred men coming out weekly to study the word and pray and love on one another. And then eventually I landed uh, in our home church in the San Francisco Bay area under our pastor, Bishop Carl Smith. And that's really where I really got activated in ministry, began to serve, began to uh, take on different responsibilities and multiple facets of ministry. And that's really where I believe I discovered what God had for me uh, in my life and how I could bridge the gap between my education and my career with ministry. And, you know, that eventually led to the discovery of what is a vision engineer, how do they Mm. function, what do they do? And, you know, it was very introspective in me understanding that, Rufus, yes, you've been trained as an engineer. Yes, uh, you've been licensed and ordained in ministry, but there's an opportunity to bridge the gap and bring a gift of, of administration to ministry. Um, So that's and, you know, here I am. I've been in Los Angeles seven years and we started the bridge community initially to focus on discipleship. 
and community service. And this year we decided to really uh, take another bite of the apple and become a church. We didn't know a pandemic was coming. Um, so now our church is 100% virtual, but I didn't tell same, you that. No, no, I didn't see that. I didn't see that on the forecast. Uh, but, but, you know, what we've tried to do is maximize this opportunity to connect with people virtually. And the blessing has been we are, we're not limited to Southern California and the traffic of the 405 and the Highway 10. We can now connect with people throughout the nation and build relationships, uh, disciple people, encourage them, coach people, pray with people. So it, it's been very enjoyable uh, in the midst of these crazy yeah. times that we're living in. Oh, and, and I absolutely love um, Vision Engineer. Um, that is that is great. I love that. Did I say it right? Was it Vision Engineer? Or? You got it. You got it. Yeah, okay. I love it. I love it. So, so the post that I, I came across, um, and I'll just read part of it, as he warned us in the beginning of the post, long post. <laughs> yeah. so, <laughs> it was long. It was long. It's a good post. And so I'll read a little bit, uh, a part of this. Um, but it says, here we go again. Let me make an obvious statement that is not so obvious to some people. The video footage of the shooting of Jacob Blake has become all too familiar for my psyche. These images have become a normalcy in the day and age of social media, and I'm embarrassed to admit that part of me has become desensitized in an effort of emotional self-preservation. Jacob Blake's life matters, and his shooting was completely unnecessary and further validates the cry for law enforcement reform. The officer's actions illustrated the simple fact that this officer shot Jacob Blake because he could. No matter who was there, no matter who was filming, no matter what children were saying, no matter what the witnesses were saying, the officer pulled the trigger because he could without the fear of repercussion. The fear of Jacob having some weapon while he walked around in his tank top and flip-flops exceeded the fear of repercussion of killing an unarmed man in front of his children. So I'll stop there. The first thing I heard when I read that was a father who in, in many ways could possibly relate to the horror of having this happen in front of his children. Um, what were your thoughts as you, you know, came, you know, come, wrote this? Yeah, you know, my thoughts were that, you know, I try and speak about social justice and police brutality and excessive force with some lens of discipline, you know, meaning that I don't comment or say something each and every time right. because that isn't, you know, my primary assignment, but there are times when I really feel prompted to say something. And this was one of those times. And like I said, in the post, I was embarrassed to say that I've become somewhat desensitized meaning that every time I see a gentleman that looks like myself or look like my father or my grandfather or play nephews, you know, there's a part of me that has to try and preserve or protect my heart and my mind. And really that yeah. began with, I'll never forget, I was living in Richmond, California, and they released the footage of Oscar Grant getting shot face down, handcuffed at right. the, uh, I believe the West Oakland BART station. And that night I was just 
I was angry. You know, I, I was visibly angry. I mean, I remember I was laying in the bed and the news showed it. And I hate to say, and you know, we think about Rodney King and whatnot, but it's just been a, it, unfortunately, it's been one incident after another. Um, so I wrestle with my own internal trauma, back to your point, but then I understand that I have a responsibility to provide some words of direction or some words of uh, tempered outrage to my mm. audience. You know, so I felt as though, well, let me express myself for the sake of some people that are looking to me at, for leadership. And then maybe some of my Caucasian friends or uh, friends that are from other people groups that may not get it. Right. But in That's them it. not getting it, they may say, you know what, I'm going to listen to what Rufus says because he's a decent guy. Yeah. So there you go. Using your platform responsibly. I would love to hear more about that. So stay with us and we'll be right back. All right. Welcome back to the Live Exchange. I'm Dr. Pamela, and I am joined by Rufus Chambers as we talk about um, some of the trauma that we've experienced over the, you know, the, I don't know what, last 30 years. I, I mean, I don't, or, I mean you, you referenced um, Rodney King and uh, honestly, I really don't know when there was a lull in in the you know the continued um, you know. So one of the things that you talked about um, right before the break was how people um, you know uh, how people may see you as a voice that they can maybe hear, maybe respect. How you might be able to use your um, platform in a way where people will listen. How have people responded to um, your, you, because you did say you, you're kind of selective about how and when you, you speak up about these things. Um, and I do get that when somebody takes that strategically, uh, people are like, wow, he's speaking on this. Let me see what he has to say. So how have people responded to you? Um, you know, I would say people have responded in a number of ways. I feel the truth of the matter is, I'm just going to be 100% transparent. I feel like some, you know, African-Americans and, and, and Black people, you know, feel as though um, I may be too safe, you know, in, in what I say. And then, you know, but some really they, they, they I feel like, you know, what I share, it hits home with them because at the end of the day, my job as a minister is to help people get reconciled to Christ. You know, so regardless of, of how I feel, my pain and my frustration, I always have to have that awareness is that at the end of the day, I need to help get them reconciled to Christ, you know, or, or, or be that, that bridge, you know, to the love of God. So, you know, I, and, and to be honest, this is my personality. I'm a pretty well-balanced guy, you know, so I'm not an extremist, you know, so, so, you know, that, that resonates with some people and some people it doesn't because, you know, on social media, we have such a wide spectrum of extremist, right, left, conservative, liberal, anarchist. Right. We have all of these people groups. And then I feel like, you know, from some of my Caucasian friends or, you know, folks from other people groups, you know, some of them are, are, are eerily silent, yes. you know, are eerily yeah. silent in even that. in Christian circles, you know, because a lot of people in Christian circles 
have been taught to not engage in a conversation of social justice. A lot of times that doctrine has been categorized as liberal theology. Um, you know, so some people are eerily silent. And, and the other part is some people are silent because they're unwilling to, to deal with and wrestle with their own bigotry or their own blind spots. You know, some people, they want to be left alone to just remain as they are, you know, and but but I th- go ahead. Well, I'm sorry. I just wanted to cut in because there are some people you, you said that they're silent because they don't want they don't want to wrestle with their own bigotry. But then we also have those who are and I'm talking about Christians and I'm sorry I put it in air quotes. That's my judgment. <laughs> but, but we have some but we have some who are who are very loud and don't want to deal with their bigotry. Um for example, the Christian group that gave over 250,000, I think we're at 500,000 now, um, of money to pay for the court fees of the, the kid who went to Kenosha and shot three people, killing one. This is a Christian group. And, 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 not, and it's embarrassing to me as a Christian for that to be what, you know, is, is they're publicly proud of doing, but, but no support of Jacob Blake. How do you, I mean, how do you reconcile that? Well, I mean, the the truth of the matter is, and this is something we've been exploring in our Sunday discussions is, you know, the unfortunate part of are some of those Christians, their Christianity has been framed within a context of white supremacy, you know, and we see that from the inception of Christianity in this nation. And on Sunday, we've been talking about, you know, what does uh, the the United States nation looks like versus this kingdom nation that Christ taught about, you know, and the truth of the matter, even when we look at the ideals of the United States and we look at the uh, Declaration of Independence about us having unalienable rights and all men being created equal, that was pinned in the backdrop of chattel slavery, and that was pinned in the indigenous genocide that eliminated millions of people. So the truth of the matter is, in the fabric of this nation, we have racism and bigotry, and the truth of the matter is, the, the church in this nation grew up in that context. And until people are willing to uh, excavate that supremacy, that bigotry, that classism from the church, we're going to continue to hear people talk about, you know, we're Christians, but we don't like immigrants or we don't like black people or we don't like innocent protesters in the name of, of Christ. And we're sitting here as an underrepresented people group, as, as black folks saying, how in the world can we be worshiping the same God and you feel so content holding on to your racist ideology? You know, and, and that's part of the tension right now is people are calling other folks out on the carpet. You know, and we have it, it, the, to do that. Yep. absolutely. A- a- we have absolutely. To do that. 
you know, and, and, so I, and I would love to delve into that uh, a little bit more when we come back, um, that looking at that, that idea of, um, of being willing to, because I think that's part of our responsibility um, as Christians is to speak the truth and to speak what we see. And, and um, because there are so many people who are being turned off to religion in general, um, because of uh, the, um, uh, what's the word? Um, I don't, you know, the contradictions, you know, the, the double talking, saying one Absolutely. thing on one side of the other, and and it really just, you know, um, gives us all a bad name. Um, so when we come back, we're going to look at a little bit of research and um, and and continue on with this conversation. I appreciate your comments. I see one from Jamie saying it's a balancing act when we choose to voice our feelings because some people feel that we no longer owe society a filtered response. So, uh, so stay with us. Uh, we got more to cover. We'll be right back. All right, welcome back to the Live Exchange. I'm Dr. Pamela, and I'm joined by Bruce Chambers. And I'm talking about um, adulthood trauma, and just looking at the context of all of these things that are happening, specifically right now, related to race and and um, how, in some ways, um, some you know bodies of people I, I it's hard for me to call them christians but you know here i am judging again um but how some people are are responding um from the vein of bigotry to to these things but how it's impacting us on an everyday basis when we are you know just living our lives just doing what we do um and and here we are experiencing those things um so i'm, I'm just curious to know uh from your standpoint rufus how are people responding um, from, you know, the trauma, for example, of seeing these images on TV. You said for yourself, you've felt that you've, you've kind of desensitized to it a little bit. And you almost have to in order to keep a level head, because if you're feeling everything that you can feel when you see this, what does this do to your everyday livelihood? So, so how are people coping, you know, in, in the work that you're doing? Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, one one day we had a meeting, a virtual meeting, and it was to have an open forum about racial scars, mm. you know, to allow some of our followers and members to just come to a virtual setting and just open up their heart about what's going on and all that has happened to them in their personal lives. And, you know, I did a lot of listening in that room because the truth of the matter is there's multiple generations of racial scars that people carry with them. You know, many of us have listened to stories of, of racial injustice from our parents and grandparents, and now we're experiencing it in our generation and our children are as well. You know, so that's just confirmation that we have so far to go. Um, but even in the midst of people being tired, people being upset, people being fatigued, mm -hmm. I feel like there are some silver linings, you know, and that's, you know, part of the discussion is, yes, we we identify all that needs to be done, but we can't forsake some of the silver linings or some of the progress that is now being made. Yeah. And for me personally, I draw encouragement and strength, you know, for this being a global conversation. I feel like for the first time ever, you know, people are talking yeah. about, you know, this. I mean, even the United Nations, you yeah. know, issued an edict that, 
you know what, the United States needs to get their sails together, you know, re regarding some of this excessive force. Um, and, and that's encouraging. So I feel like even as we lament, mourn, be upset, as we march, as we protest, as we fight for policy, we also have to be encouraged that this conversation is on the table. And yeah. I even feel like this election is is is, is going to be just so polarizing because this issue of racial equity and racial equality is at the center of this election. I don't care what you think. I don't care if you're a Democrat or if you're a Republican. It is at the table, you know. Um, yeah. and, and I feel like some of this, and you know me, hey, I'm a person of faith. I, I feel like some of this is um, God's handprint you know, on the nation is, and, and the way I always, I understood it in my own devotion time is as soon as we thought that we were coming out of this pandemic and coming out of this COVID-19, this coronavirus, the George Floyd mm. killing hit and it just reverberated. It, it, it was like, a, it was like an earthquake, you know, a 10.0 on the Richter scale. And that thing spread throughout the globe. And yeah. I said, oh, okay, okay, before we go back to our lives as normal and yeah, everybody's running around trying night. to make money, you know what, let's deal with this racial injustice. Let's let's deal with police reform. Let's deal with racism. And here we are, here you we know, are. talking about it. So I feel like to answer your question, I know this is a long answer, but you know, <laughs> we, we, we have to lament and mourn. We have to grieve. We have to carry the burden of those families that are mourning and literally burying family members. But at the same time, we need to have a sense of hope of what tomorrow can bring. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's it's the world is watching. And, and I think that, um, as you said, you know, I, it's important. The world is standing with us in, in so many ways as well. Um, it, it's kind of like me as a as a child, as a teenager. I was the kid that couldn't get away with anything. You know, I really couldn't. As you know, <laughs> I I yeah. just and, and I think a lot of that has to do with the call that I have, ha, you know, had at the time and have on my life. You know, and so me, I sneak out one time, I get caught. Me. I, I go in and do the deed one time and I get pregnant, you know? And so I, <laughs> there's a connection here. Um, so the United States, I think that we have a call here That's and good. I think that we're going good. to be held to task and I think we're going to be held responsible. We don't get to just get away with, you know, what we've been doing or what this country has been doing to marginalized populations. Those marginalized yeah. populations over time are going to, you know, rise. And this is what exactly, you know, what we see happen. Um, and I'll just say quickly before the break, we had one other guest who uh, came on the show and he's kind of been on the show a few times, Ron Chapman. And he challenged me with the thought that the arc, the moral arc of the, um, of the country is constantly going up and we may see mm, things like the president being corrupt and you know but this stuff this mess that we're seeing right now is is an is an indication of that moral arc going up and and the more that it goes up the more we're going to see the, the people fight against it so this like you said is encouragement because there is purpose to this and we're going to see the other side to this so we just got to hang in there we got to stop saying oh trump's just gonna win because all these people you know stop 
stop it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> stop yeah. it. This is all supposed to happen in order to get to where we're supposed to go. That's so right. I'm going to stop preaching and we're going to go. go ahead. Right. <laughs> we'll be right back. <laughs> We're just looking at the kind of a social, political, religious landscape <laughs> that's going on here. All um, that, what all the, that. Yeah, all of that, all of that. And all of these things that kind of point in the direction of trauma and how we can um, address it. One of the things that you mentioned in your post, I'm going to go back to that. Um, you said whenever, you know, when we're looking at um, kind of uh, whenever difficult times happen, whenever we feel the tension, um, we turn to the familiarity of the box that we identify with and respond accordingly. So we've got the conservative box, the liberal box, alt-right, communist, socialist, protester, Democrat, Republican, evangelica, black, white, evangelical, black, white, Hispanic, LGBT, Asian, you name it, all lives matter, activist, protester, anarchist. So we've got all these labels, we've got all these names, you know, for each other. Um, what happens when um, we cross those lines? When we, you know, because we've seen a lot of Republicans, um, for example, turn away, Republicans against Trump. We've seen um, veterans against Trump. We've seen a lot of different types of, um, I guess, going outside of the lines, the boundaries. How do you, what do you say to somebody who's struggling with that? You know, this is who I am. This is how I identify myself. And it looks like we only have a few seconds to do that. Um, but how do you get somebody to step outside of their box? And um, if you want to answer it now, maybe we'll just answer that when we come back. Um, but think about that. Um, you know, how do we, so we'll start with that. And then after we get your answer, we'll go into the research when we come back. So stay with us. Bye. All right, welcome back. I'm joined by Rufus uh, Chambers, and we're talking about what's going on in the world and society and how that's impacting us in a, from the standpoint of trauma. Um, the question I asked before the break is, we're, we're in our box, and we've all got our little boxes that we uh, you know, belong to. Um, and even from the standpoint of Christianity, there's a certain box and a certain way that we have to, from a social standpoint, not necessarily a biblical standpoint, or our interpretations of um, the Bible, um, you know, from all these boxes that we're in, how do we step out of those? How would you advise somebody to you say, you know what? I know that you've been known as, uh, you know, whatever, a, a conservative or a Democrat. How, how do they step beyond that and, and unify? Yeah, and, and I, I believe that, you know, number one, when we step outside of our boxes of familiarity, we grow and mature. And I feel like that's really the challenge that this nation is faced with right now is, yeah. you know, the United States is being challenged to measure up to the ideals that were pinned by the founding fathers. You know, and I feel like that's a corporate maturation. And at an individual level, you know, that's why we need to have diverse groups of people that we communicate with you know, that we have mastermind groups with, that we have social uh, groups with so that we can sit down and reason together. Because mm -hmm. it's really at that place of reason where there's an opportunity to step outside of the box, you know? And I feel like that's been part of the problem in this narrative 
<laughs> is within the context of Christianity and conservative Christians, they're being challenged to step outside of the box of yeah. their familiar familiar conservative evangelical box and construct and watch this put on the burden of that person of a George Floyd. Yeah. Put on the burden of George Floyd's family that had to bury him. And I feel like when that happens, we're stepping outside of the box. We're now meeting each other at a common ground and saying, I get it. So that so that that's really the challenge is not to say that we're going to make one another agree with everything each other thinks, but at least get to a place where I get it. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and, and you know, and, and that goes both ways, you know. So, again, when I'm talking to, you know, a Caucasian male that has enjoyed privilege his entire life, I'll be able to say, hey, I get it. I get why if you've been in boardrooms yeah. as the dominant people group and voice your whole life and you may have an honest concern about being outnumbered in the next five to ten years. Hey, I get it. Yeah. Yeah. And we, we, yeah. And we need to be able to say that. So, I mean, that's huge. So step out of these, these boxes of familiarity and stop and and step into humanity because these boxes of familiarity, they really are not synonymous with humanity. And I think that's that's really what we need to start doing Uh, without, you know, further delay. uh, We're going to get into the research. Science, 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 science. All right, so according to Psychology Today, um, an article here, um, yes, the answer is yes, you can be traumatized by the media. And, you know, I know that some people are aware of that. Other people may not realize the extent to which we can be traumatized by the media. There are two different ways of experiencing trauma. There's direct trauma and there's indirect trauma. So the direct trauma is obviously what we experience in our lives that that happens you know to us indirect trauma is the witnessing of of um traumatic events that happen to somebody else so these videos that we see um and i can only imagine what that must be like to grow up seeing these images because now as an adult i hear of cases that happened in the 80s that i did not see um Mm -hmm. my parents did not have those things on tv i didn't have a, a device that I was constantly attached to. So there were things that I just did not see as a child. Um, You know, what I saw were civil rights movement images, you know, and that was in my mind as a kid, oh, that was a long time ago when mama and daddy were kids, you know, but the kids today see these things in real time. And um, and so it's important for us to understand the impact of indirect trauma and the fact that it does indeed impact us. and so there's also this idea of vicarious traumatization, um, secondary traumatic stress, and, and they have similar signs and symptoms as what we see in post-traumatic stress disorder. So, so important for us to recognize that and, and to take the precautions needed to protect ourselves, but to also stay engaged in what's going on in the world so that we can be a part of the solution. So Rufus, I'm curious to know, you have two daughters, 15 and 12. Um, well, you know, what do you do? What do you suggest, you know, for our kids? I mean, us too, but what do you suggest for our kids who are now exposed to this 
all day, every day, if, if we allow that to be the case? Yeah, that, that's a great question, um, because I feel like part of the challenge of being a parent is understanding that the lives that our children live are different than ours, you know, that they're plugged into social media, you know, 24-7, you know, literally. And I feel like what social media has given people the opportunity to do is communicate differently. You know, so I feel like part of the challenge of a parent is helping our children express their feelings audibly to us as parents. Yeah. And, you know, we grew up in a day where our parents, they were more focused on, on talking at us than mm -hmm. talking with us. And this is part right. of the agility that parents need today is, number one, we got to know how our kids are thinking about and feeling about what they're seeing and what they're witnessing. You know, yeah. and case in point, you know, I took my daughters to one of the protests here in Los Angeles and, you know, they were concerned, you know, <laughs> I was like, all right, y'all, you know, I, I, we're going to go to this protest. I picked out a, a protest that I really felt would be safe on the campus yeah. of USC and we're getting in the car and they got questions. You know, because what they had been doing is watching the news and mm -hmm. social media with with just all of this drama of riots yeah. and stores and things burning. And we pulled up to USC and, you know, we got there 15 minutes early in the middle, maybe 100 people out there. And I said, OK, kids, you know, I think we're going to be able to participate in this protest. And they got a chance to express some of their concerns but it was really in that car ride that I got a chance to hear from them. Yeah. And, and, and again, they're like, well, hey, are the police gonna do something to us and this, that, and the other? So it was a learning opportunity for them and also for me to see how are they thinking? Because guess what? If they're plugged into social media and texting and FaceTiming their friends all day, they're expressing themselves. They're internalizing yeah. some things and us as parents, we need to be able to draw those feelings and expressions out so that we could safely guide them and parent them and shepherd them to safe waters in their mental, in their spiritual and in their psychological development. You know, and right. that's parenting differently, you know, than it was in the 70s and 80s, you know, when, when we were coming up. Yeah, absolutely. Very different. And and as we see, Generation Z has been um, very vocal. And, you know, this is really the case with every generation. Um, the young, the youngest of the generations um, tend to be probably the most creative and the most strategic mm -hmm. in how we go about our social movements. So, you know, even when we look at our parents' generations and the ways in which they took leadership roles in the, in the civil rights movement, we're seeing the same things via TikTok, you know what I mean? <laughs> we may not understand it, um, but they are certainly paying attention and, and getting engaged in what's going on in the world. So it's not all bad and it's not all necessarily um, trauma. It doesn't stop at the trauma for them. They are like, okay, what do we need to do? And finding ways to do it. So, um, so that I can definitely, one last piece that I wanted to just kind of um, go into or just put out there is this idea of the privilege of host. And I've, bring, I've, I've talked about this before on other shows, and I'd just love to hear your thoughts. It's the idea that when we, you know, when we experience trauma, 
We then have um, sometimes what's called post-traumatic stress, right? So after the trauma is over, we experience the after effects of experiencing that trauma. For some people, there is no post. There is no, I experienced this trauma and now I'm doing this in life. For some people, the trauma is continuous. And what we've been experiencing in the media to tie it to the research is continuous trauma. So for many of us, that part of the trauma is not, there is no post. And for some people, there is that privilege of post. Like I, I have moved past it. I don't, you know, every time I see it, it doesn't traumatize me anymore. But for others, that's not the case. How do you, um, you know, I guess, what do you suggest for people who are, who are not post-traumatic? You know, they're not in the post-trauma phase. They're still in it and they live in it. And they, there's no means to an end. It, it, you know, for them, it just might be a pervasive thing for them. How do you live in that? How do you manage that? Yeah, that's a really great question. And, you know, what I encourage people to do is they have to learn a plan or a system that promotes their health. You know, so mm. getting on social media 30 minutes a day and watching the news 30 minutes a day and the balance of the day, you're doing something that's promoting your health. You know, you yeah. got work, you got your family, you have reading, you have, you know, study, you have meditation, you have exercise. We have to learn to compartmentalize because that's one thing that the pandemic has done. It's allowed us to be engaged in media outlets around the clock. And some of that is absolutely unhealthy. So many of us have to begin to reclaim our time mm. and learn boundaries so that we're not sucked up. You know, like you said, you know, how do we get to the post if this stuff is continuing to happen? And that's, you know, sometimes I look at 2020, it's almost like the earthquake that never stops. Ah. You know, Dr. Pamela, <laughs> you're, you're from California and you know, we're used to those yeah. Earthquakes at maybe thirty seconds, but how about ten months? Oh. You know, and 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 we think about Kobe Bryant's death, where we saw our heroes mourning on national television. Gosh. That was heavy. That was you know, hard. See Michael Jordan get up at a funeral, yeah. and this guy is not crying. Yeah. And you know the Shaquille O'Neal's, and then we got the the you know we got one hundred ninety thousand people have died, and now you're mourning with all these people that have died from COVID and George yeah. Floyd and Blake and whatnot. So I feel like we have to begin to like Auntie Maxine said, we have to begin to reclaim our time and fill that time with things that are going to be healthy and conducive to our healing and to the main maintenance of our health. Gosh, that's so good. That's so good. So I, first of all, I have an assignment for you. Your book is 2020, The Earthquake That Never Stopped by Rufus Chambers. <laughs> oh, oh, wow. Let me write that down. Write it down. That is your book. Let, let me write it down. <laughs> I, that's, I mean, I, I don't think that I've heard a better analogy to what we've experienced this year you know we with kobe bryant we thought that was the beginning of a crazy like oh my gosh you know this is the awful most worst thing that can happen and lo and behold 2020 was like hold my beer you know and here we go and and it is it's just it, it's just going and going and going and going and so this whole idea we are not in the post of this trauma yet and i think that your thoughts um find other ways to spend our time reclaim our time with family with exercise with 
um, church, but you know, attending our whatever it is that you need to do, reclaim your time. I, I'm going to end on your words. Reclaim. Well, those are really you know Maxine Waters' words, but <laughs> I'm going to end on that because that's that's just so important. Um, and so, um, so okay, that that was just so good. So. How can we reach you? How can we get engaged with your ministry? How can we engage, get engaged with the work you do? How do we find you on social media? Um, yeah, thank you for allowing me to come on your broadcast. And, you know, thank you for sharing your platform. Our website to our ministry is on the screen now, thebridgela.com. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. And the majority of the ministry goes down really on Facebook. Um, and again, it's the, the Bridge community. Um, I'm on Instagram at uh, Rufus Chambers 3, the number three. And, you know, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and our website here. We would love to connect with you. We have a Facebook group where we interact with each other throughout the week. And uh, we would love, love to connect with you and continue this conversation. So, yes. thanks for allowing yes. me to come on. Yeah, no problem. I mean, this is such an important conversation. And so I want to make sure that we are continuing it, you know, and I think that the way that we talk about it, we've got to get to the solutions. And so I really appreciate, you know, the solutions that you imparted today. And I hope that we, you know, um, take those to heart and and keep because we got a lot of 2020 left. Um, And all we can do is also pray that at 1159 um, p.m. at 2020, it doesn't turn to 1160. But that it actually Ooh. turns to <laughs> 1 a.m. of 2021. Absolutely. <laughs> Let this sink in. So, um, with that said, thank you once again, Rufus, for joining us thank today. You. And thank you all for joining um, the live in- exchange, for tuning in, um, where we exchange compelling dialogue um, every week around humanity, intellect, and change. Um, Join me next week at 11, where we'll be talking about women in politics, um, Black women in politics, and um, we'll we'll be looking at all women and Black women. Um, And so just remember to, you know, stay with us every week together. We can right the wrongs, speak the truth, rise above, and stand for change. Have an amazing week. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.